0: Zach is having a week off, so we once again are joined by the innumerable Chance Miller. Hello, Chance. Hello, Mayo. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I remember I used some other crazy adjectives, so I came up with. It I know. This one I, on the spot. I always get such a good intro. It's... Yeah, I know. Uh, of course, you should check out Chance Miller's podcast on the 95 Mac Network, which is 95 Mac Daily. It's daily news. So if you like us talking about the news, you'll probably like hearing the news as well. Um, and you can follow Chance on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle, Chance? Chance H. Miller. Chance H. Miller. What, what a title. All right, let's get started. The Matter Protocol for the Smart Home. This is one of the most overhyped things I think people have gone on yeah. to, unfortunately. And the news this week is that uh, it's been pushed back by another six months or so, because it was originally meant to debut in early 2022. Well, I mean, it was originally meant to debut last year, but then it got delayed uh, now it was meant to be coming out around now, and now it's been pushed back to the end of the year.
1: I'll ask you, Chance, do you know what the Matter Protocol actually does? Not really. I mean, they just <laughs> say that it's just to like make HomeKit, Amazon, and Google, and I guess like Samsung's thing all intercompatible, but I don't think we really know much about how exactly that's going to work. Well,
0: my understanding, and I'm not an expert, but you know, it's kind of in the realm of... Development and stuff. So I've looked at the protocol thing. My understanding is, all that the Ma- the Matter initiative is, is it makes the communication of from a device to a smart home accessory like that communication protocol is will be standardised. So right now, like HomeKit, you have a HomeKit accessory, right? And so from a device that speaks HomeKit, like your iPhone or your a- Apple Watch or a HomePod and stuff, that can communicate to an accessory over HomeKit. And then that same accessory could also have a different communication method exposed, like Amazon Alexa system or the Google system. And so these accessories have to integrate, you know, three or four different proprietary protocols to support all of the different platforms that are out there, right? And basically, what matter will be is it will standardize that communication protocol. So the accessory makers, theoretically, and this will take a while for it to actually get to market saturation stuff, but theoretically, the accessory makers only need to implement one open source protocol and then any of siri or alexa or anybody else will be able to communicate to that accessory via that open standard right right okay which is nice and convenient if you're an accessory maker and you don't have to worry about uh complicated approval processes and apple will get a lot more accessories in its ecosystem that actually work because you know the home kit application system is onerous and complicated for some good reasons and some stupid reasons but that's the that's the situation right and so in a future where everything supports matter you'll be able to add a lot more accessories to your home app right but i think what people might have a mistaken understanding is that matter is going to like make like siri interoperate with alexa or make the like the understanding or recognition of smart home accessories by your assistants somehow standardized and like generic that's not true at all like the 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 part of the voice assistant is still proprietary and unique to each platform the only bit that's really standardized is the communication from siri to the matter to the actual accessory so all the people who complain about like you know HomeKit being slow or unreliable or accessories are flaky and take a while to respond that kind of sit bug i don't think is going to change like because the, yeah. the Matter protocol is basically like an open source re-implementation of the HomeKit protocol. So essentially you're just having all the accessories communicate to their like host device
1: in a different way, but the mechanics of the system are unchanged. Does that make sense? That makes sense, but I, it, my question and what I thought was going to be the case is that Matter theoretically should mean there are a lot more HomeKit accessories out there just because right now, like you said, the Homekit process is kind of onerous compared to something like Amazon or Google. So is that true or no? Um, the Homekit process is more onerous, and I think
0: once everything's mattered, that like those approval processes will fall away, so you'll get more accessory yeah. supporting, but you won't be able to like, like you, you won't be able to like set up a, a, an automation like all the automation level, right? That's all going to be still proprietary to the to the system. So, like, your Alexa won't be able to like see the automations you've set up with the HomePod, for instance, Mm. or like on your phone. Like, all that's still going to be separate ecosystems. It's more like, um, so before, like, if you if you do analogy to like the cellular network, like all smartphones can talk on like AT and T and Verizon and all those bands. And you know, at at one point, Verizon was on um, CDMA, so there's like a different protocol versus gsm and now it's all over the same thing with like 4g and 5g and so I, my in my analogy like cd main gsm are kind of like you know home kit in the alexa protocol today and then matter's like the new standard if you see what i mean but mm-hmm. all the features you get from the carrier are still independent if that makes sense yeah so, that makes sense yeah so realistically my kind of general takeaway is that you're probably like when matter does roll out probably not really gonna notice. <laughs> like yeah. in the scheme of things like the only thing that's going to happen is the number of possible accessories you can add to the Home App will increase because Matter's going to just have more accessories in total than what the HomeKit ecosystem will support. But you're still going to have issues because, like Matter, does not is 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 an open standard, which is good and bad. And the bad part is it's going to move slowly. It's not going to adopt all the latest features and functionality. Even there are still mo- loads of c- categories and classes of smart home accessory. That the Matter Protocol doesn't yet have it doesn't yet have a standard for. So, like cameras are a big example. Uh, Right now, video cameras or like security cameras are not ascribed by the Matter standard. So, even when Matter does launch, let's say in six months, it's going to support like lights, switches, you know, a couple of other things, um, shades and blinds. And I believe, but I don't, I'm not sure about door locks, but I know for sure like cameras, they're not included in the current release. So you're still going to have a situation where there are like standard based accessories, but then all the smart locks are still going to have to support all the proprietary versions as well. And then let's say, you know, WWC in June rolls around and Apple wants to add a load of new features. I mean, they either can wait for it to make its way through the standards body or they're just going to do what I think is going to happen is, they're just going to launch the features so is google so is amazon and then it's going to be like an, another like 3 year lag before it actually rolls out into the the open source version
1: and i mean with cameras already we kind of see that with homekit secure video like that's mm-hmm. never going to interoperate with anything yeah exactly just because like, that's all siloed <laughs> off into its own thing for good reason eventually you might be able to like standardize
0: the communication of how does the iPhone or how does the HomePod get the video from the camera. Mm-hmm. Like that might be what Matt standardizes, but the actual platform of like Home Secure Video, that's still going to be proprietary. Like a, a random accessory is not going to be able to come along and be like, you know what, I want to store content in the HomeKit Secure Video cloud. Yeah. Like it just doesn't work that way. So I think people have put a lot of faith in that Matt is going to make all of this stuff uh, simpler, but I don't think it's really going to make too much difference. Like it's an important thing to have. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to like change the game massively when it comes to the smart home situation, because all the parts that actually matter to a customer are still going to be controlled by the individual companies and not really
1: improved or unimproved by the matter implementation. And I've always kind of said that Thread seems like a bigger deal for most people, just because Thread does, at least in my experience so far, really help solve some of the the slowness and the compatibility issues with, like, your Wi-Fi network and all of that, like, that solves what people care about most, which is if you tell an accessory to do something, it does it as quickly and as reliably as possible. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's true, because,
0: like, just the, the the network connectivity or range of, like, Thread compared to, like, Bluetooth is a lot better. And cause, especially because Thread supports, like, the mesh relay stuff, whereas that never was really supported by, like, the Bluetooth accessories. So that that part of it is good because... If you have a house full of lights and what it's, and a lot of the Thread benefits get even multiplied when like your entire house eventually, you know, every accessory is a smart home accessory. Right now, people do it in a select few rooms. But you can imagine in 10 years that everything you buy will have a Thread and Matter implementation, you know, fingers crossed in the ideal world. And at that point, the kind of mesh networking capabilities of the Thread protocol, of the Thread-like networking feature do actually make a big difference. So yeah, Thread is definitely more important than Matter. I'd agree with you on that. Also, this is kind of random this week. Apple had the biggest, like, services outage, I think I can remember. Like, yeah. they, and now, Apple has uh, unusually frequent, I'd say, <laughs> services outages. Uh, very regularly, we have, like, a story on the site about, like, oh, iCloud mail's down for a day, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, the Apple card system's broken for a day, when I think that the most recent one was, like, a Goldman Sachs problem. But, you know, like, I, I, th- those kind of issues isolated outages come up once a week once a month like on somewhere on that basis but on monday what did we see we saw like pretty much every single apple service completely down for like multiple hours like for multiple hours and it wasn't just like icloud apple music apple tv apple arcade it even extended to like apple's corporate Environment, including the uh, Apple Store, all the stuff. So, all the geniuses and Apple Store staff are having to like use notepads temporarily <laughs> because all their booking systems and repair systems are all down, which is,
1: I think, kind of like, wild. At the height of the outage on Monday, the Apple system status page, which isn't the most reliable and consistent platform to check these things, but even it was saying that I think like 25 services were down. So, that's like that's the bulk of what Apple offers, especially to like consumers yeah, it's like <laughs> and
0: and the syst- and the and the the system status page not a hundred percent truthful <laughs> no would you would you say like I feel like the system status page has to be managed by a real person at some level, like I don't think there's like automatic no I don't yeah. think there's an automatic system updating that page. It seems like it's done by a person just by based on the like the time delay between when we hear like. Users reporting about problems, and then it actually updating the website, which I guess at some level makes sense because, I guess at some highest point, you need like a human to know that everything's broken and then update the page because theoretically
1: the updater of the page could also be down. If you see what yeah. I mean, but that's what we were like, speculating really- on Monday is that it, it had been so long that the services were down and nothing was on the system status page. That we just assumed that whatever tool Apple uses to update the system status page was also broken. Like That's how long of a gap there was between the outage starting and Apple acknowledging that anything was happening. And then Tuesday rolls around and they, it, stuff goes yeah. down again.
0: <laughs> uh, Bloomberg said it was like a DNS issue, which uh, is a problem that affects a lot of tech companies, yeah. like, uh, which is kind of uh, ironic given that they're meant to be the ones most knowledgeable about this stuff, but... Hopefully everything will be resolved by like, at least it didn't happen on like a product release day, because that would have been yeah. really awkward. Like if it happened on the Friday when, you know, the Mac Studio and the Apple Studios Play, everyone was picking them up from the stores. That would have been chaos. Or in two weeks time when like people are trying to stream MLB games for the first time yeah. on Apple TV Plus, that'd be another problem. Uh, but at least it was just a random Monday where I don't think there was anything critical in like Apple land. But I mean, iMessage and FaceTime were down and whenever they're down, that's a, that's a big problem.
1: And the iMessage part of it was really weird, too, because if you sent an iMessage that was, like, just text, it went through okay. But if you tried to add, like, a link or an image or a video or anything like that, that's where it really started to hang. So, it was – something was off with how, I guess, Apple embeds, like, the previews and stuff. But it was just bizarre seeing what was impacted and what wasn't impacted.
0: Yeah, it was (laughs) – It was definitely notable. Uh, yeah, and the actual like Apple store website was
1: was still up. So, oh, of course, Apple once wants... that would have been uh, fixed quickly if that had been down. Yeah, there there wasn't an event happening, that's why that was yeah. still up. <laughs> exactly.
0: See, <laughs> so, yeah, fingers crossed it doesn't uh, doesn't return. But and Apple didn't actually make a comment about it in any way, which it felt like it was down for a significant amount of time. They might have put it, given a statement out, but they were I, completely... I
1: thought for sure we were going to get a statement, especially. Because people were jumping to a lot of very extreme conclusions about what had maybe caused the outage, but so you would think Apple would want to downplay like it wasn't any external interference; it was literally just a DNS problem. But Apple stayed silent as usual. Yes,
0: yeah, sometimes they they stay silent. I think for good reason. The other time, it's like you probably should have yeah. said something about that, but. I mean, it, at the end of the day, was how much blood was spilled, how much you know, yeah. how much problem was caused. It wasn't terrible, but it is for any tech company. Like they were they're always looking for like what's called four nines of reliability, which is like uptime of ninety nine point nine 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 percent, like four decimals. And I don't think Apple's going to achieve that uh, <laughs> at least year to date, based on the amount of problems we keep seeing. Happy Hour this week is brought to you by Lumen Skin. Guys, let's talk skincare. If the sum total of your skincare routine is basically just washing your face in the shower, then listen up. Maybe you're using that same shower gel you've been using since high school. It turns out that regular body wash might not actually be helping you too much. In fact, it could be damaging your skin. Uh, thanks to Lumen, you can drop that bottle of 3-in-1 and start using products that actually take care of your skin. With Lumen, you can get the highest quality moisturisers, cleansers, shampoo, body wash, and more. All of their products aim to help with stubborn acne scars, under eye, dark circles, wrinkles, sun damage, dry skin and more. And getting started is so easy. Just take their two minute quiz at lumenskin.com slash happy hour and they'll tell you exactly what routine you need for your skincare needs. Lumen's products are carefully considered and thoughtful. So they come with instructions for every product in the box. So you know how to use them most effectively and protect your skin from potential damage or future acne. And all of their products are made using natural ingredients. Ingredients that actually work including licorice root extract, rose flower oil, charcoal powder, ginger, green tea, and charcoal. Honestly, this whole arena has been so complicated and daunting for me before, but Lumen makes it super simple and approachable. They're sending me the classic maintenance bundle, which includes a moisturizer and a charcoal cleanser and exfoliating rub. And I'm really excited to try and try it out. So when they sponsor next time, you can hear all about that. And you can care for your skin by setting aside just 90 seconds a day to use their products. So, level up your skincare game with Lumen Skin today. Go to lumenskin.com slash happyhour to get your free trial of Lumen's products. That's spelled L-U-M-I-N skin.com slash happyhour to get your free trial of Lumen's products. One more time, L-U-M-I-N, that's lumenskin.com slash hour. Thanks to Lumen for sponsoring the show. All right, this next feature is new as part of iOS 15.4 but it was actually teased with iOS 14. So it's an Apple Maps feature which gives you electronic uh, uh, electric vehicle routing through Apple Maps. So the idea here is that if you just do a normal route in Apple Maps when you're on the go, it will give you standard navigation. But if you're in an electric vehicle, you need to account for charging your current mileage. Where can you charge up on the route? Can you get there one go? If not, you need to make diversions and like waypoints. And so uh, something like a Tesla kind of does this automatically with its built-in GPS system, right? But Apple has now built it into Apple Maps. So theoretically, if you're in an EV vehicle, you can just plan your route and it will tell you if you can get there on your current mileage. And if not, it can add in the charging stations along the way. You have, a, you have a Tesla, right, James? Correct, yes. Model Y. So you don't have CarPlay? <laughs> no. no. Thank you and you don't get EV routing. And in fact, basically nobody does because it's only in the Ford Mac e yeah. at the moment. Which, I mean, I guess is you have to start somewhere, but given this feature was originally promised for iOS
1: 14, i like, kind of hoping when it did launch they might have more than one vehicle. But I do think that a couple or maybe one BMW does support it and has supported it maybe i think since bmw added the car key thing too so when i was writing this story i tried to research it the best that i could and it's hard because you're looking at a minority like of a minority you're looking for ev drivers who have like one model bmw who use carplay (laughs) who use apple maps Yeah. (laughs) So that's like... I had some trouble finding exact details, but it does... Finding proof that it does actually
0: exist before. Yeah, because all these screenshots are new to me. I haven't seen that stuff before. Um, So maybe it was like supposedly supported by that car, but you couldn't actually use it until
1: 15.4 came out, maybe. That might be what happened. And shout out to Ford because they did publish like a detailed support document with these screenshots and all of like the details on how it works... So that's nice to see, at least.
0: Yeah, and it, and it, and it like talks. It, the reason it requires certain cars is it like communicates to the car to know right. the current like charge percentage and stuff. So in these screenshots, like on the CarPlay UI, you do a dist- you do a, you navigate a route, and then when it tells you like ETA, underneath that it even says like you're expected to have eighty percent battery left upon arrival at your destination, or you can't actually make this trip. You need to stop off, you know, at these places. Like that's a cool feature, and the Tesla does it integrated but most of the cars are not you know some of them have that kind of stuff in their system but they don't have the same like quality of ui or experiences like the tesla is clearly the the best like in-car experience you can get which is why lacking car play isn't so much of a problem like it, obviously people want it but i think it's like i see why they don't they don't do it because they want you to use their integrated system but the average electric vehicle their in-car systems are about as good as any normal in-car entertainment system which is kind of rubbish and the Apple Max experience is going to be a lot better.
1: It was a couple months ago. MKBHD did like an EV long distance road trip test with the Mach E and a Tesla, and maybe one more. But either way, the routing system of the in car built in navigation on the Mach E was it did not look good in that video to the point where like. The Mach-E arrived at the final destination like hours behind the Tesla because it had so many issues routing not only to chargers, but to chargers that were online and chargers that were fast charging. So just even though the Ford system has this built in, giving people the option to either use Apple Maps in conjunction with the Ford system or fall back entirely on Apple Maps, like that's a nice option to have. Mm-hmm. and I feel like all of this Apple Maps investment
0: eventually is going to pay off when they do like ship a real car yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like I don't think they would be so interested in adding all of this stuff to a free service like most of other Apple services these days have some sort of paid upgrade or upsell or paid component right but don't Apple Maps ideas. costs <laughs> well I mean I'm- I-, I haven't ruled it out let's put it yeah. that way but Apple Maps like is completely free it has no advertising it's like it they they only have to they have no income from it it's only expenses right like and it's not a small thing for them it's not like running it's it's way more investment than running like a podcast app you know because they have to like send out cars and real people have to do ground truth experiments and they have to test everything and they need people in every part of the world like it's not just like a global service that works in any one place which is what they they hoped i think when they launched it back in 2012 (laughs) but obviously they've you know upgraded their system now they run all their own mapping data and everything like it it represents a huge investment for them billions it it must cost them billions to to keep this thing going Uh, and so far they do it only as a perk of owning an apple device which is great but definitely in the back of my mind it's like this definitely has synergies with their long-term product roadmap as it were including cars and even like augmented reality like we saw with ios 15 they added that the event finally added uh, like an AR view to the Maps app when you're doing turn-by-turn navigations on foot and so you can like hold your phone up and look around and it puts little arrows in the way in supported areas well you know that's cool on a phone but you can you can immediately imagine if you've got like a headset on, you've got glasses on you can just turn your face and see where it's pointing you it's going to be a lot more compelling so all of this stuff is kind of building up to that
1: and also just jumping back real quick to the outage thing that happened on Monday and Tuesday Apple Maps was one of the services that was affecting impacted obviously yeah. And, and yeah I got a text from a friend like a, a real life offline friend who's not following Apple outages very closely or at all and he was like I was using Apple Maps to get somewhere I've never been before and it just completely died like halfway through and I got lost twice so I was also just impressed that because to me Apple Maps still has kind of a bad reputation but I think more people are using it now
0: yeah, it definitely has where, a bad like, reputation, but was... I think loads of people use it. Like, isn't it? Isn't it something like sixty-five percent of iPhone users use Apple Maps? Or oh, some, really? I think that's high. Source. Yeah, yeah it's, it's some study like that. Because I mean, it does come built in, right? So they get a massive advantage that way. And I personally think it's better. Like, yeah, yeah. and again, this this varies per area, and it varies based on coverage of your particular geography. But like, the app on its own, ignoring all the data, works better than good. It's prettier. It's more fluid. It works better with CarPlay and Siri. Like the UI is better. It has newer features, uh, in, including like you know their Street View replacement that unfortunately isn't as ubiquitous as Google Street View. But in the in the places in the cities where it is, like the resolution, the imagery is so much better. It's like a 3D. You can zoom through so fluidly. Like the Apple Maps app is great. The data definitely, I'd say in some areas competes with Google Maps. It Seems so, especially in like the populated areas of the US. When you go to less populated areas, the the Google Maps experience generally, I think, wins out again, and that kind of reflects what I see in the UK too. Uh, but we, are like, I use Apple Maps predominantly, not not out of like a a fanboyism or anything. Just I use it, I like it. If it if it got on my nerves, I would use Google Maps instead. But I think, I think it works pretty
1: well. And like the in car Tesla navigation is based on Google Maps, and. It's, I don't know if it's either Tesla not using updated data from Google or if some of Google's data is just not as good. But I have so many issues with the in-car navigation, which is one of the reasons that I really would appreciate if Tesla added CarPlay just so I could use Apple Maps or even an updated data set of Google Maps like reliably on the big screen in the car. So, I don't... And, yeah. you, and you still don't get, like, Apple Music in Tesla either, right? No, just over yeah. Bluetooth,
0: yeah. If I had a Tesla, that would be my, like, number one issue. Like, I wouldn't care about the CarPlay too much or as much. Like, I just wouldn't be able to have my own music streaming, you know, without having to, like, do the stupid Bluetooth nonsense.
1: Because Teslas do have Spotify and, like, TuneIn and a couple other options. Even Tidal now. And-, and, and Netflix when
0: you're not driving. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I think... We saw some evidence in, because there's people who, like, dig into Tesla updates and software and stuff, kind of like we do for iOS. And Mm -hmm. there was some evidence they were working on at least Apple Music integration of some sort. Because there is an Apple Music API that they could theoretically tap into, but that was probably about a year ago at this point and nothing's materialized. I think the API will
0: only work on, like... An Apple device, or 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 in or like like the APIs are generally for making a Apple Music experience that works on the same device. So like, you can make third party Apple Music apps, but they have to run in the App Store. Do you see what I mean? like So you can't just make like an Android Apple Music app because it doesn't work because it's like restricted in that way. So, and I presume even at tesla scale, like they even if even if the API did support it, they'd probably have to get like special deals with Apple anyway because they. I don't know if they get like a cut of the money or there's different rules about licensing and distribution. Oh, that's a good so, point.
1: yeah,
0: yeah, I'm sure they have to come to some sort of agreement about it. Uh, and obviously they've done it with Spotify and Titled and stuff. I think, as we know, the, uh, the chief executives of those companies don't quite see eye to eye <laughs> on every issue. So, there's definitely some, uh, Bad blood there, especially as they like poach. They keep poaching back yeah, and forth that's... all the employees for the car project. What did? Elon that, def-
1: that definitely plays a role too. Called Apple the Tesla graveyard or something. Yeah, it's... but then he also hires the same employees right. back again. So I don't know. Like,
0: I I can't wait for the Apple car to come out with lidar. <laughs> Do you remember his massive tirade on that? <sighs> yeah, that that'll be fun when it ever materialises. But fingers crossed, they can at least get some decent agreement on apple music and like i think i think getting apple music is a is a is an attainable goal in in a in tesla device because with carplay you are see you're like ceding control of the entire experience over to somebody else which i can see tesla not wanting to do especially as the company they'd be ceding to is also rumored to be making a competitive vehicle right yeah. and like uh. it'd be like apple like letting someone else take over the iphone home screen like it's not going to happen but apple lets you have third-party apps on your
1: iphone so And that's kind of the equivalent for Apple Music. So I think they'll get there eventually, but
0: it's going to take a while.
1: And the implementation of CarPlay in the Ford Mach-E, it's really good because the Mach-E has... Like, Teslas have the wider screen, but the Mach-E still has the, the vertical screen that's big and nice. And it has a physical volume dial and everything. And basically, CarPlay, I think especially with iOS 15 maybe, it takes up like a really nice amount of space on that screen. And it integrates really nicely with... In car features of the Mach E. So, if that's if there's any way Tesla could like replicate that experience, then that would be really good, particularly because Ford also has its Blue Cruise hands free system and Tesla has autopilot. And one of the arguments among Tesla people has always been that, well, you couldn't do CarPlay because it wouldn't integrate with autopilot. But obviously, Ford has found a way to balance both of those. So, it would be nice to see. And I don't really buy much of the arguments on why tesla hasn't done it other than the obvious competitive nature between the two companies
0: yeah i i, I can see it uh i mean i don't actually i have a car so maybe i'm mm. just talking about my talking about that <laughs> but based on like what i've seen and stuff i can understand why it's like a confusing potentially confusing user experience if you start having like carplay overlays on top of all the like the, the tesla stuff and like I, I get it. Like, if Apple was in the same boat, they wouldn't. They wouldn't do it. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I can. I can see why. But integration of Apple Music and maybe even like Apple TV Plus or something, uh, if they're going to have Netflix and Spotify, like that's something I definitely think they can. Because you an can do with.
1: Apple TV actually. It just I uh, went through the web browser. Yeah, and there's like a yeah. third party website that somebody made. It's like Tesla or something, because the in car Tesla experience is like. Netflix, maybe Disney Plus and Hulu. But if you go it's a better com in the Tesla browser, you can do like Apple TV and Plex and basically everything under the sun, I think. So it's possible, but nothing Apple is native to Tesla. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean they've done Apple music on PlayStation
1: yeah. and Xbox
0: and stuff like that. So I think they can bring it to a car. Let's let's hope they can get to some agreement on that they can grit their teeth while they yeah. shake elon elon musk's hand you know happy hour this week is also sponsored by new relic as well as doing this podcast i make apps and if you're a software engineer you'll relate to this experience it's late at night you're unwinding you get ready for bed and bing 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 bing, bing. your phone is buzzing because something somewhere has gone wrong maybe the app isn't working maybe the server's down whatever the case there's a mad scramble to try and work out what has gone wrong Modern software is so complicated and there's so many layers of the stack that could be at fault. And what New Relic does is offer comprehensive and precise system monitoring so you can quickly hone in on the problem and fix it. You don't want to have to need to deploy the entire team messaging each other back and forth just to try and debug a simple issue. So New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally have to buy separately, but in an all-in-one offering. So engineering teams across the front end and the back end can see the entire software stack in just one place. And that's why the dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. So get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data free forever with no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash happy hour. That's spelled newreli dot slash happy hour. One more time, newrelic.com slash happy hour. Thanks to New Relic for sponsoring the show. Also new this week is home key, the first kind of like home key accessory for your own house. So you can now get the, I'm I, terrible at pronunciation of this, slage? in code plus lock yeah. uh with homekit support did you did you jeff did a, a nice video on this did you get to see it like i think yeah, it looks it, so cool
1: it's i tweeted i think that it's one of the most impressive and tempting homekit accessories we've seen in a long time cuz
0: up to now you can get like homekit door locks obviously but they rely on like bluetooth predominantly and you have to like Click on them in the Home map, or you have to like use a serial automation to actually get the door to lock and unlock. And like that's cool, and it's good that that supports that. But what you really want is just to like directly walk up to the door and yeah. open it, right? And the current HomeKit solutions haven't really been able to deliver on that, mostly for like security reasons, um, I think. But what the Slarge Encode Plus does is it just integrates the HomeKit feature that we saw Apple roll out recently as part of iOS fifteen, starting with the. Hotels, uh, from from January, right? There's those that hotel chain where you can five
1: hotels, I think.
0: Yeah, so far like (laughs) five hotels, uh, where you can just add your room key to your phone, and then when you get to the room, it just automatically works and unlocks your door, and you can check in remotely, get your key before you get there. Like cool system, and then they brought it to the home as well. So with this kind of keypad thing that you stick on to replace your door lock, it has a number pad, so you can type in the number. A pin code, it has a um key hole. If you want to use the key, I guess if everything else breaks, you can still use the physical key. It supports HomeKit and all the stuff we just mentioned, like using Siri and using automations. But the the addition is with key it also has an NFC reader in that kind of pin code area. So all you need to do is just hold your phone or your Apple Watch close to the reader and it unlocks your door. Like that is so cool. It's like having the the home key for the hotels, but for your own front door. like, and, and it's fast. You don't have to wait around for the Bluetooth. There's no worries that network connectivity is going to screw you up. You just hold your phone or your Apple Watch to the sensor and the door unlocks. Like, That is really compelling. That is that is the kind of thing... Okay, design aside, because I don't think the large thing looks particularly like aesthetically beautiful. No. Uh, but apart from that, Apple could 100% make a smart lot like that. And do exactly what I just described, and it would fit right in. You know what I mean? Like, there was those rumors a while ago that they were going to start doing some home kit accessories of their own, like maybe lights and stuff. And I never quite bought into that idea because, like, why does Apple want to bother making like twenty dollars smart bulbs? You know, like when Hue and other companies fill that market incredibly well. But something like a door lock. A, they're expensive, right? And so that always gets Apple's interest because it's not just like some commodity low price thing. Like this, how much is this thing? It's two ninety nine, yeah. which isn't, you know, it's, it's expensive, but it's not terrible. Like, and for what you get, I think a lot of people, you know, it's a luxury, but I think a lot of people would jump for it. It's definitely in that range of like an affordable luxury item that, Makes a difference to your home. Apple could make one that was like slightly prettier, but it would have all the same kind of integrations and functionality. And Apple, it could tie into Apple's like, you know, security and privacy angle, right? Uh, But obviously the HomeKit platform is is built in that way. So Apple doesn't know when you're unlocking your door. It's all done on device. The NFC thing doesn't have to communicate with the server. It's just that little pad on the door communicating with your phone. Very cool.
1: One of the nice things too about this Encode Plus is how it, it combines the smart features like the home key and your nor it has normal home kit integration too and then it also like you said has it keeps the original key so if you have somebody that lives in your house and just wants to be able to put a key in the hole and unlock the door they can do that and then it also has the the number pad too so you can type in a code so you're not you're combining the smarts of HomeKit and HomeKey, but not giving up the traditional way of just unlocking a door, which could be nice if you live with people who don't want to deal with using their phone or their Apple Watch to have to unlock the door.
0: Yeah, for sure. And as part of the HomeKey system, you can even do like virtual sharing keys. Yeah, like You can mm-hmm. make a separate code, you can send it to them, you, know, you can add it to their wallet. Like for, for a version one, very well built out, I think. Yeah. And in Jeff's video, you can see it works very reliably too. So,
1: and just very again, good. Going back to the price, it's three hundred bucks. But if you look at like like I have an August Wi-Fi smart lock, like their newest, mm-hmm. their newest one, and I think I'm looking, and it's like two hundred thirty dollars at when it's full price, and that's just for like the August one is one you put on the inside of your door, so. It Fits over the existing deadbolt system, kind of. Yeah, and it just offers HomeKit and control with the August lock. So, for seventy bucks more to get all of what the Encode Plus has, that's honestly not too bad.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and even if you like haven't got a smart lock at all, it's not like you haven't. It's not like oh, it's not like the the normal ones five hundred and this one's seven hundred. Yeah. You know, it's like not. It's still in the realm of most people wanting something cool for their home. Like, and, and it's not just... It is, there is a coolness to it, and it's, it is an excessive luxury, but it's also useful. Like, you know, smart, smart, smart door locks
1: are very cool. Like, there are a lot useful. of dumb, useless home kit accessories, but smart locks are one of the most useful ones for sure. And then kind of on the same vein, Apple also launched the Digital ID uh,
0: system in Arizona this week which is another feature that works inside of the Apple Wallet app. You've, if you're in Arizona, you can get your I, your state ID digitized and added to the wallet. So theoretically,
1: when you need to show it, you can instead just show your phone or your watch. It seems right now at least that uh, this isn't anything like what Apple had announced because at WWDC last year when they said that this was the final... Feature that needed to come to apple wallet before you could finally completely ditch uh like carrying a real wallet because our colleague michael potuck did a write-up of the original headline was like here's everything you can do with a digital id and apple wallet and then he dug into it some more and it was kind of like well there's really as it stands right now only one thing you can do which is show or not even show but if you're at the Phoenix International Airport and going through TSA, you can tap your iPhone or Apple Watch on like the license reader thing to to get through TSA instead of giving them your physical license. but that's and that's only at Select Gates at the Phoenix airport. So that's the only implementation that we've seen right now for how this will work so. It's baby steps. Yeah, it's baby steps. And the problem too is that you have Apple's gonna have to work on a state-by-state basis to roll this out, sort of like with the COVID-19 exposure notifications feature. So and we kind of saw how weird and convoluted that rollout was. So it's baby steps in it, but it's gonna be a while before this is actually. Before you can actually fully rely on this to replace your physical ID. Yeah, I mean, you can't even rely on Apple Pay.
0: No. Even to this day, right? <laughs> like, but you have to start somewhere. If they want to do this, if they want to make your phone able to act as your I- ID, they can't wait until, cause, like, until they roll the feature out. No state is going to implement it, right? right? So yeah. On this one, I get it. Because like, there are some times when Apple launches software features and they don't feel like complete or... They're waiting on bits and bobs, and you're like, they probably could have executed that better, but in this case, they don't really have a better choice. They just have to start, get some support. In five years' time, it might be more developed, maybe even ten years' time, right? Because changing getting like every police officer to carry around an NFC reader is right. going to be a huge ordeal, right? And you know, apart from the aside from the conversation about people who are uncomfortable even getting their phone near a police officer, right? Yeah. If if you did want to do it, you still need a you still need them to have the infrastructure to be able to scan the phone to do it versus just looking at a piece of paper or you know your passport in your pocket or whatever so it's it's it's, it's going to be a long slow road but i'm glad they've started like the iphone's not going anywhere the apple watch isn't going anywhere whatever future apple, you know, apple's not going anywhere and this feature will still be relevant in 10 years so if it takes them 10 years to deploy it then we'll actually be able to use it whereas if they didn't start it would never happen so maybe one day i'll be able to try this but <laughs> for one state in one country uh, it's gonna and, and then in one like at <laughs> one <laughs> airport, but hey, if they if they roll out another location, they've just doubled their reach. So yeah. it'll get it'll get there eventually. It's it's a cool idea. Like they don't have they. I think my point in this is they don't have any other way to do it. They just have to start slow and gradually expand. And I do believe it is based on a standard. So in the same way that you know Apple Pay is Apple Pay, also it's like just the standard way of doing contactless payments. This is a standard. Or becoming a standard for ID presentation, so it's not like Apple is trying to forge this completely proprietary thing, and a police officer is going to have to carry one NFC reader for an iPhone and one NFC reader for an Android phone. Like down the road, it'll be unified. So I'm happy with it. It's just obviously real world, very very limited at the moment. Happy hour is also brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp online therapy. Check them out at BetterHelp.com/mac happy hour. Relationships, whether romantic or just friendships, they take work and we'll drop anything and go out of our way to help someone that we care about. But how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? When do you take a day off just to give your mind a break? Do you do therapy or do you get some coaching? BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to take care of your most important relationship and that's the one you have with yourself. Invest in yourself as much as you do friends and family. Remember, you are your own greatest asset. So, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and 95 Mac Happy Hour listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash mac happy hour. That's spelt B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Mac Happy Hour. BetterHelp.com slash Mac Happy Hour. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. Okay, Chance. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It has worked out quite conveniently Mm -hmm. that while Zach is away, you have got the toys to play. So let's talk about everything that you've acquired uh, in the last week or so. Let's start with the revolutionary, unbelievable iPad Air, fifth generation.
1: Real quick, I just have a bone to pick with Zach, because (laughs) the past few weeks, and multiple times even before that, he's made some not-so-subtle comments on this show about how my buying habits are, I buy everything, and... Just want to point out that right now, my buying habits are benefiting his podcast while he enjoys a vacation. That so is true. So next week when Zach is back, I expect an apology. But. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, the iPad Air 5. It's the same as the iPad Air 4, but it has the M1 chip inside for everything in iPadOS that can take advantage of that. And it comes in some new colors. I mean, there's really not much to talk about with the iPad Air 5, but... It's, I mean, I, we said on the show last week that if
0: you gave someone an iPad air and it was in the same color as the previous generation, yeah. they wouldn't even know yeah
1: <laughs> no okay. right. i got the blue one, which is actually I think like the best color there is it's i was I got the blue one because in the Mac Stories review Federico fattici post or had an image showing the blue from the 2020 iPad air next to the blue of the twenty twenty one or sorry. 2022 iPad air, the iPad air Mm five. And you can like actually tell it's blue this year. Like in this picture, the, the blue from the iPad air four looks like silver. So I do like the colors, but yeah, that's about it. Did you get it to keep, or did you just get it to see? like, well, I up until last week, I was using a 2018 iPad pro and I loved that iPad pro. I've had it since launch day in 2018. And it's, still an incredible piece of hardware but as i tweeted i i dropped it on a tile floor and it completely shattered and like i was looking into like display replacements and display costs and that seemed like that was either going to be a lot of trouble and or very expensive so i decided for the sake of talking about it and reviewing it to get the iPad Air 5 instead of getting a new eleven inch iPad Pro. So I did give up Especially Pro as Motion. There might be an iPad Pro revision in yeah. six months or so. Yeah. Right. So really Do you miss the ProMotion stuff? I surprisingly I really don't. I was worried because on I do have the uh, the latest iPad mini too, and I do notice the lack of promotion and the general poor display quality there. For some reason on the iPad Air, I don't know if it's because it's bigger or if it's just a better panel that Apple is using. But the display is... A, I don't really notice the ProMotion missing at all. Fair enough, fair enough.
0: I do have one other question about the iPad Air 5. And mm-hmm. I've got multiple DMs asking me. And I don't own one, so I can't tell you. But people are very, very concerned that it creaks.
1: Have you heard about this? I saw some sensationalist headlines saying that, yes. Yeah, I, I haven't owned... Any iPad Air, for many many
0: years. So I don't know if this is like actually a problem. Whether the fourth generation creaked as well, but you've got one. You can tell. You can put it on this podcast on record. Creaking. Is it?
1: A, is it made up? Is it real? Is it a gate? What's the situation? I do not think creak gate is a thing. I don't notice it. I tried when I saw that headline going around, and it doesn't seem any more or less sturdy than previous iPads. So, that's what I thought. I yeah. thought,
0: based on based on no <laughs> real-world <laughs> testing at all, I was like, I bet the old one probably is identical and people are just, like,
1: hunting for issues because it's just come out, you know what I mean? And but. I will say that it was, what, the 10.5-inch iPad Pro. So what was that, 2017? Yeah, thing? that's 2017, yeah. My 10.5-inch iPad Pro ended up getting bent, like, because I guess it had just been in my backpack and in my bag so much, so that iPad and I wasn't the only one that that happened to. So I think that iPad did have some build quality issues. But
0: well, no, no, I think you're getting it wrong. That the 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 big problem with the bending that was when it, they redesigned it with the Face ID and stuff.
1: Was it? I thought it well, maybe, maybe, well, maybe both. Maybe yeah. both
0: because the 2017 one was when it still had the big bezels yeah, and stuff. Right. And they had promote they had it promotion that year, but it mm-hmm. still looked like you know an iPhone 6s. Forehead chin design. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they had uh, bending issues then, but they, the, the big like bend gate was the 2018 one because like, they made it like super thin and it,
1: yeah. you could like bend it with your hands. Yeah. Well, I used the 2018 11 inch for what, almost four years, and it was not bent or did not have any damage at all until I broke it. So mm-hmm. there one, you go. Oh, iPads, yeah. they bend, they freak <laughs> You heard it here. <laughs> you heard it here. Right.
0: Mac Studio. Mac Studio. Bef- what were you using before the
1: Mac Studio? So, poof, uh, let's jump back a couple months. Mm-hmm. I got the M1 iMac when it came out last year. Used that for, what, about six months or so until the 14-inch MacBook Pro came out. And then I consolidated my MacBook, M1 MacBook Air and M1 iMac got rid of those, and just went fully with the 14-inch MacBook Pro. So now I've added back in an always-on Mac, which is the Mac Studio. What do you think? High level. High level, it's exactly what Apple said it is. It's honestly very unexciting, and we were kind of talking before we started recording, Mayo, that it's hard to talk about, and I noticed that in some of the reviews and the videos that came out la- yeah last week that it's just unexciting but it works incredibly well and exactly as apple apple announced it would so it's a mac mini that's stretched up with a big forehead on the front and a good selection of ports and it's incre- did you have the ultra or the max no just the max yeah
0: when if i call something boring people always get mad at me like i call the iphone se boring but like is not necessarily a slight like i guess no, it is partly no. a criticism cuz you'd always love apple to do stuff that's exciting and interesting right but the mac studio obviously is a great product yeah. from all intents and purposes but it is boring like it's just a mac, it's just a mac mini that's a bit thicker you know like <laughs> with a, with a couple more ports i guess and that's about it like the m1 max version is identical in performance almost to the macbook pro and so if you want like the core cool performance, like, and, and the ultra is faster, but as we've seen in benchmarks and stuff, you know, single cores are the same, obviously, because they're the same cores. Multi core, you do get diminishing returns as you go up the scale. And so, if you're not doing specific workloads, the real world improvement is going to be less significant. Like, the biggest change for Apple Silicon was when we went from Intel to any Apple Silicon, yeah, right? Like, yeah. so when you went from like the Intel. MacBook Pros to the M1 MacBook Pros, it's like crazy. Or you go from the Intel MacBook Air to the M1 MacBook Air, and it truly was like revolutionary. Like, and that and that was that was the MacBook Air was the same design, but it was not boring because it was so different. Right? Mm-hmm. It was faster in every way, no fan, like an incredible leap in situation uh, and just use case and everything, battery life. Like the entire the entire product was just so much better when they'd moved to the Apple Silicon architecture. And I think that kind of wowness applies to all of their mobile products, i.e. all the laptops, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Then with the iMac, they did a big redesign. And it has an annoying chin, but, you know, yeah. so it's just, <laughs> each of their own. But you can't call that boring. Like That was clearly no, yeah, yeah. exciting and innovative and different um, and divisive. And divisive is another thing where, like, you call something divisive, that could be positive or negative, but it's definitely not boring. You know what I mean? Like, um... And the m one iMac, I personally don't like the chin situation, but I would happily call that a perfectly good addition to their product line. Well justified, fantastic, you know, not boring at all. This, mm, can't quite say the same. I think it's fine to be in the lineup, but it doesn't like, it doesn't go like, wow,
1: you know? And it, it would have been nice because the form factor is so, like you said, kind of unexciting. And it seems like there was room for Apple to do a bit more now that we have Apple Silicon with all the efficiency and the cooling and the thermals and everything that come along with that change, that it would have been nice to see Apple push the envelope a little. Like now's the time to revisit some of the ambitious designs it had for the desktop Mac a few or a decade ago even. When it was still using Intel and all of the baggage that came along with that. I mean, I look at like the 2013 Mac Pro today and for all of that machine's fault, that design, I think with the glossy black, the yeah. the rounded edge, the rounded form factor, and it had a good selection of I.O. Seeing somebody or seeing Apple revisit a more revolutionary or... Innovative design now—that would be interesting and a bit. I more mean, exciting. Phil Schiller literally
0: introduced the Mac Pro based purely on its designers cannot innovate anymore. My ass, right? Like, yeah. That was the that was the quote. Like this, you can't say that you can't you can't like the Mac Studio. It's just like they could have e- they could have called it a Mac Mini Pro, and no one would have blinked an exactly. eye. Yeah, right. Like my my the Mac Studio is perfectly fine. It fills a product line. It's a high end Mac Mini for people that want it, um, but. The whole addition of a new installment of a Mac doesn't happen very often, right? They, it's, when's the last time they added a whole new model to the lineup? I it was w- well before 2010, I'd say. Like,
1: yeah, unless I you count the 12-inch anything. MacBook. But I, I guess think.
0: you count the 12-inch MacBook. Yeah, that does count. Okay. So, but that was different and differentiated, right? It, you couldn't just call that a MacBook Air in a different form. Like It was very different. This it's like if you took two Mac Minis and stacked them on top of each other. Yep. Right. Like, I feel like they could have done something crazy because what I was getting at is the advantage of Apple Silicon is way bigger when you compare like a Mac laptop to a Windows laptop, right? Better battery life, really fast performance, no fan noise, right? Incredible performance and efficiency trade-offs compared to the Windows market. Like an M1 MacBook Air is faster than most Windows laptops, even the big chunky ones, right? Like it's just crazy. But then you come to the desktop side and the Mac Studio is trying to address like high-end desktop computer needs. And it doesn't really like have the same advantages compared to Windows computers. And you see all these like Apple compared it to the 3090 GPUs and all these like things. And then you do real world testing and it's not you know, some some in some cases the same. In some cases it's not it's not as close. Now the big win that you do get is the Mac Studio is a seven-inch box, whereas the PCs are like 20-inch boxes, you know, like massive towers. So that is the biggest difference there. But you can't like unequivocally say like this is the fastest desktop computer you can buy because it's just not true the the macbook air is like one of the fastest laptops you can buy and it's fanless you know what i mean like the macbook pros the fifth the 16 inch macbook pro that i have m1 max it is the fastest laptop i can buy for a cpu task it just is like doesn't no qualifiers at all incredible
1: the mac studio doesn't quite have that same bullet point you know And the Mac Studio 2, like you were saying, it is like a new entry into the Mac lineup altogether. So Apple didn't... It's not like when Apple took the Mac Pro name and slapped it on the 2013 Mac Pro and kind of abandoned everything that the Mac Pro was known for, like its modularity and all the slots inside and all of that. So if Apple didn't have any preconceived expectations that it had to conform with with the Mac Studio. It could have made it anything. And people would have been like, well, this is the Mac Studio. Like, it's shaped like a trash can or whatever. And it would have been fine because nobody had any expectations. But instead, it's basically a Mac Mini, but more powerful. A Mac Mini Pro, like you said. And the other thing that surprised me about it is that even on the Mac's model, people say that the fans, you can hear the fans. You can. And it's not like you have to be in a very silent room. Yeah. Like I have a fan in my office, like a floor tower fan type thing, and it's always going. So I don't notice it, but I do notice on the back of the Mac studio, like you can feel a bit of heat and kind of a little bit of air moving around, like almost constantly. So this like the bottom up thermal design here is interesting. And i do worry a bit about like long term, whether like you could have some dust issues getting in there, and with that fan constantly going. But like with the Ultra, you
0: kind of get okay; it needs more thermal headroom. But why does the Max one need it? I don't. That's I don't. I haven't got yeah, a good answer no, I, for that because I'm sitting in front of my M1 Max MacBook Pro, and it's the same chip. Like, and it has a back It has an internal battery, you know, and it's a thinner enclosure than the Mac Studio, and it has fans, but. As it is now, just talking on a podcast, you know, it's dead silent. The only times I hear the fans on my laptop, are if I'm doing like a video encode, and then the fans turn on. Yeah. But it's not like the fans are on permanently, which is kind of what it sounds like the Max Studio does, which is kind of weird. I don't really get that. Like, they had the opportunity to design whatever they wanted, and they still picked a design that needed the fans to be on, even for the M1 Max model, like, even when idling, like, that is kind of strange to me, like. If you if you're gonna go with a conservative design, at least make it one that could be completely silent. Like, when and I'm not saying even if, you know if you're if you're stressing the thing, then fair enough, you can have the fans turn on. But why have the fans on in an idle state?
1: Like, I don't really get that. No, but I mean, we've said all of this, but I don't want people to think that I the Mac Studio is a bad machine because it's not. Yeah, and I am very happy with how it fits into my setup and how I use a Mac. Like, I my I thought that I could go to just the 14-inch MacBook Pro, but the reality was like, I like having an always-on Mac for plucks and other things, and also just where I can sit down, press the spacebar on the keyboard, and it wakes up, and it's exactly how I left it. And so, if you're looking for something like that, and you want something that's more, that's not an iMac, and that's more powerful than the M1 Mac Mini, because the M1 Mac Mini, people kind of forget, has all of the limitations that come with the M1 in terms yeah. of things like unified memory and... Only one display yeah, output. I think... The well, Mac I guess Mini you get can, two displays yeah. on the Mini,
0: yeah. But, but, okay, a lot of people with Minis want three displays, which you can't do, obviously. Yeah. And so, Whereas the, the Mac Studio, you can do, what, like, five displays and f- four of them are Pro Display XDRs? or yeah, four like, XDRs insane.
1: and a TV or something. <laughs> but, yeah. So, like, the Mac Studio is, like, the Mac to buy if that's what you want. And also, it's the Mac to buy if you want something that's can connect if you want apple silicon with like a full 27 inch display and more than 16 gigabytes of ram yeah the ram limitation like the m1 mac mini is
0: fine but the the ram limits out is like the biggest issue for using it for like workstation needs it's just 32 gigs of ram is kind of requirement for like video work i find or you know like programming work and a lot of stuff like if you're just doing Web browsing and email and Twitter and stuff. And yeah, the M1 Mac Mini is more than powerful enough. But if, you, if you're trying to do like productivity work in terms of like media or programming and stuff like that, I would always recommend getting more RAM, which means you have to go up to the, the Mac Studio. But the base Mac Studio is what, 1999
1: and it yeah. comes with 32 gigs of RAM. Pretty good, pretty good config. And, but but yeah. I think we do have some, we've had some exclusive reporting that like an M2 Pro Mac Mini could be coming probably next mm-hmm. year and that does make the Mac Studio for most people like a bit harder to justify because most people would be fine with that M1 Pro M2 Pro sure. Mac Mini so that'll be interesting and to see. it might not have the fan problem yeah as well, point. As, well as being a
0: third the, the height yeah. like yeah when that comes around when that comes around maybe we'll have to reevaluate the, uh the Mac Studio's like relevance like obviously it's always going to have that need for the like the ultra side of, of the equation but the the max model is like i mean it's fine but the the difference between the m1 max and the m1 pro is all gpu right so if all you care about is cpu tasks you might as well just think of it as an m1 pro anyway right and then the m1 pro is not that much different from the m1 you get like two extra cpu cores it's slightly faster you get more ram like the ram's the main the main differentiation really so like i think it's like again i'm not I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it no. it is a great i think yeah. it's a great addition to the lineup i do just I, every time they introduce something brand new I want them to be like I want them to do the adventurous stuff. Like I like it when they do like the 2013 Mac Pro and it's like wow this thing's awesome and then even if it turns out to be a bit of a shambles it's like you know they went out there and they did it big. And I wonder if they were just a bit more conservative with this one because they're coming off the back of like the five year yeah. timeline of the Mac being in decline and everyone hating it and especially like the the 2016 MacBook Pro. So when it came around to like we are going to make a new model Maybe the people were like, let's just chill out a little bit. We'll a bit more of a stronger, a stronger argument, if you see what I mean.
1: And there are the rumors, too, that the new Mac Mini might have some minor redesigned, mm-hmm. redesigned to it. So maybe that's what we'll see in terms of different design for the desktop. Finally this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by LinkedIn
0: Jobs. During this great reshuffle of labor, a record number of employees are considering switching jobs. And now is your chance to try and attract them. LinkedIn Jobs is here to help you connect with the people that you want to interview and ultimately hire faster and for free. Create a free job post in just minutes using LinkedIn Jobs and your job post will reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Uh, As an aside, actually, my brother has just finished university and he's looking for work. And I know LinkedIn is one of the places that he's checking for job posting. So if you're a business owner, you can use LinkedIn to target my brother and 770 million other people. When you add the job post, you can add the job information and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word even more to signal that you are hiring and boosting the reach across your personal network so they can help you connect to the right people. LinkedIn Jobs also has simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience for what you're looking for so you can target the most qualified applicants and quickly prioritise who you'd like to interview and hire. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one job site to deliver in quality hires compared to the leading competition. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com happyhour happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. So, finally, chance—the much controversial, and I'd say the the product that is having the most like discourse at the moment on Twitter and Reddit and stuff in the Apple community—it's the Studio Display. So, what's your kind of like? Could you have a Pro Display XDR? Right? Yes, I do. And so, I'm assuming you bought the studio display to
1: just try and try it out rather than seriously thinking it's going to replace your XDR. Yes. The studio display, despite what some of the reviews kind of made it seem like, the studio display is not a replacement for or even a competitor to the XDR. They're just two completely different products and completely different price segments. So right off the bat to even... If you're trying to decide between buying the studio display and the XDR, like chances are you probably just need the studio display. But yeah, I got it just to try it out, and with all the discourse out there, just to see if any of that was justified. So tell me, to give me your impressions of the studio display, because honestly, out of all the products
0: Apple announced last at uh, this month's event, that's the one I'll be buying. So I'm, I'm interested in the studio display. So tell, tell me
1: your like general summary on it. The studio display, it's basically it's exactly what everyone who uses a Mac has been asking for since they discontinued the Thunderbolt display. It has a, the 27 inch screen that has been used on the iMac for years with, I think a hundred nits of higher brightness and which is noticeable. Actually, I compared it to like I used an iMac for years until the Apple Silicon transition, like a 27 inch iMac for years until Apple Silicon. And it's, it's a really good panel. It doesn't stack up to the XDR obviously, but in the form factor and the price that it is, it's a great panel and there's the thing is is that there's nothing with the exception of the LG UltraFine out there at this resolution, the 5K resolution for Mac users like that's the thing that I think a lot of reviews kind of miss. Well, all,
0: all Windows, are like, there's no 5K pattern. Like, Windows doesn't care. Right. Really. Like, the Windows community doesn't care much about 5K. So,
1: even if you're talking about a Windows 5K display, they just don't exist. They, yeah. Like, you can buy a really good Dell 4K 27-inch display that might even have some additional bells and whistles, like maybe a 90 hertz or even 120 hertz refresh rate. Yeah, the Windows community is really on one forty four because that's what the, yeah. what the that's what the games
0: that's what people are doing gaming want. Um, or you can even get like the thirty inch ultra wides. They come with high refresh rate, but if you want the pixel density of twenty seven
1: inch five K, you've got the Studio Display. You've got the LG. That's it. And the Studio Display. Moving on from like the panel and the screen itself, the build mm-hmm. quality is just what sets it apart from the ultra-fine, Like. It's basically like I'm looking right now at the Studio Display build quality next to the XDR, and they're like identical. Like the Studio Display is smaller and lighter, but the all it's just an Apple design front to back, bottom to top. Like the stand, which is is sturdy, unlike the Ultra Fine. And the issue though with the stand is that it's not height adjustable unless you spring for the extra four hundred dollars or the VESA option. So that's something to consider. But because the Ultrafine does have the adjustable stand included. And it comes with the vase amount too. So you get adjustability and a vase option if you want it for that fourteen hundred dollars. But, but the studio display is exactly what we've wanted, and I really don't have many complaints at all about it, other than the stand pricing being a little bit weird. So surprising so in general, do you think
0: that the fifteen ninety nine price or the studio display is out of line
1: crazy ridiculous like because that's what a lot of people seem to think I mean no not at all because like I said there's nothing else out there that can compare in terms of build quality and display like I'm I'm surprised that it's only $1599 for an Apple display and $1599 is a lot of money yeah but I think People who want this display and want something that integrates perfectly with their Mac, like they're willing to spend to get it. It's it's it, like it is
0: one of those things where it's it's expensive, and if you have fifteen hundred dollars, most people probably will have a different allocation of needs or wants, and they won't see any value in compared to like a four hundred dollar four K. 27 inch or 4k 24 inch you know like and but that doesn't make the studio display like overpriced or crazy or expensive it just it just addresses a niche yeah apple like apple got so much flack for abandoning the mac in general but that also meant abandoning abandoning the niches so not just like the laptops but on the desktop side they they made the mac pro that cool trash can design but that's what people didn't like you know, they they, they they didn't update the Mac Mini on a regular basis. The iMac was lagging behind, and then they finally started to get back on track a bit with the iMac Pro, and then everything else followed behind it, right? But yeah, like the Mac Mini or the Mac Studio, if you're gonna if Apple's gonna sell them, I think they should have Apple quality accessories that actually make the thing work. Like the Mac Mini and the Mac Studio, they you know they don't come with a keyboard, mouse, or display, and literally until the Studio display. Apple couldn't sell you a display that was any good with them. Like the Pro Display XDR is like way overkill for an in- even smaller niche. Like we're still in, th- when you're buying a Mac Mini or a Mac Studio, you're in a niche, right? Because most people are just going to buy MacBook Air and be happy with it. Um, but if you're in that niche, you probably like Apple stuff because that's why you bought one in the first place, right? <laughs> and so yeah. th- them not even having any option was ridiculous. And they have an option now. I think it's pretty good. Uh, I don't have one yet, but I'll buy. I'm I'm moving house at the moment, so when I move into like the new office and stuff, I'm going to get one and set it up and you Mm -hmm. know probably. But I don't want to like commit to one now because I don't know if I want the stand or the mount or I'm not. I'm not very clear. Uh, It's it's, but like people want in this niche, which I would include myself in as a programmer and stuff. People want 27 inch monitors because they're nice and big. You've lots of space, and you want retina resolution. And on the Mac, retina resolution is like over 200 pixels pixels per inch. And all these, like, 27-inch with 4K resolutions or the 30-inch ultra which are, like, resolutions, like, 34- 3400 by 1440, like, all the PPI, the pixel density, they're, like, 120, 140. Like, it's way different to an actual 27-inch at 5K, which is getting you PPI of, like, 220, which is basically comparable to the uh, the laptops and the iPad and stuff like that. Um, I think the mini-LED PPI's are even higher. They're, like, 250 PPI. Yeah, I which think so. Which is, which is why the rumors of the 7K panel, like what 95Max reported, uh, make so much sense, because that's gonna be million ed And if you do like the conversion from 220 to 50 at 32 inches, that 6K becomes 7K, right? So you can see where they're heading. Um, for whatever reason, Apple Light's given the mini led panels a bit more density. But the LCD on the LCD side, 220 is like standard uh, for, for a Mac. And so you need that 5K 27-inch, which is why all the iMacs are 5K 27-inch because you're getting with with iMac with with Mac Retina or any Apple device Retina you've got to take the actual physical resolution of the screen and divide it by 2. So the 5000 by 2000 becomes like 2500 by 1440, which is like the old resolutions of of bigger displays way back in the day which was like 2560 by 1440. What you're getting with a 5K panel on a, on a on a Mac is that effective resolution in terms of real estate with double the density so it look, everything looks sharp and pretty right so that's why everybody wants these 5k panels and so all these reviews that are like you can get this 4k one for a thousand dollars less you can get this one it's like yeah but they're not they're not like i guess they're comparable because they're all displays but they're not comparable in the product market segment i 100% admit the product market segment that wants 27 inch 5k panels is very small but it's can't be that much smaller than the market segment that want Mac Minis and Mac Studios, and also all the people that previously wanted iMacs that now Apple no longer sells. So, for that market, the Studio Display has a perfect need. Price wise, it is expensive. I'm sure Apple's making plenty of profit margin on it, like they do any other Apple accessory that you buy. Like they sell $200 keyboards, $150 trackpads, like you know the leather case for the the, lap, the Like uh, Apple charges a lot of money for stuff, and I don't think the price they charge for this is out of line with their standard practices. Like, anytime people... Nowadays, people do stuff that, like, uses other iPhone parts or costs a fortune. It's like, Tim Cook's Apple. He's just extracting (laughs) every dollar that you can using recycled stuff left, right, and center. It's like, no. This price is what they would have charged 10 years ago, too. Because the the Thunderbolt display was $9.99. I mean, if you count for some inflation and the fact that this is actually a better panel than what the Thunderbolt display was in many ways... like. Going from a thousand dollars starting to sixteen hundred dollars starting, it's not that it's not that different for a decade of you know, just even just on price inflation alone. Like this pricing is definitely in line with what I'd expect from Apple. In fact, I tweeted before the event that I expect the price to be between fifteen hundred and $2,000. And two thousand. And what is it? It's fifteen ninety nine. And if you add on the three hundred dollars stand upgrade, upsell, it goes to two thousand. So you know, it's right in the range of what I was expecting. Would I wish it be cheaper if Apple would have the generosity? Yes, but did I expect them to do it cheaper? No. And I think people buying this display are going to be very, very happy. The only thing that was unexpected to me based on the actual people getting them is the camera situation, which is not as good as what. Because, I mean, that was one of Apple's big selling points for this thing, right? was look, we've got the the same camera that you have in the iPad. We've got the uh, signal processor and all the processing from the A13 chip. And that's going to give us a really nice webcam with center stage. And for whatever reason right now, the webcam isn't
1: anything to like shout about. Yeah it's the mayo you saw it when i joined the zoom call Mm -hmm. today and it it zoom defaulted to that camera and it's 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 not great it's most of the reviews were were accurate that it's it doesn't seem to be as i do think it's some signal processing thing compared to what you get on the ipad Something's not right whether it's in that pipeline or whether it's a hardware problem. So where something's just not right with how that image is being processed. It's grainy. Yeah, like yeah. the colours and the contrast seem Intra- like yeah. super blown out. Like it's like you've gone
0: into like a photo editor and you've like just indiscriminately dragged the slider up without really thinking about it. Like that's that's what uh, and again, I don't have one yet, but based on what I've seen, that's what it looks like to me. And it's a fascinating story about how like the bug even shipped, you know what I mean? And there's been some reporting that like it was Only present on the production models and even like the late stage prototypes, it it was working fine and stuff. But fingers crossed, like for all intents and purposes, it seems like it's the same hardware components Mm -hmm. as an iPad Air, right? So you should expect almost identical appearance, and hopefully they can fix it in an update.
1: It, um, if like because my normal webcam is the that Logitech 4K magnetic thing for the xdr and it that i don't expect those two to to compare just because one's 4k dedicated webcam versus one's a 12 megapixel ultra wide sensor and built into an incredibly thin display so i don't expect the two to compare but i did expect more from the studio display in that especially
0: as they made so much of a big deal about it in
1: the presentation like that (laughs) that was supposedly why the a13 bionic chip is in there is to yeah to help with all of that processing. So
0: like if they if they hadn't made a big deal about it, it almost even as is without the fix, people have just gone, okay, it's a webcam. You know what I mean? Like yeah, but yes. it's because they specifically like dedicated a section to be like, we've got all of this processing, we've got the Palier 13 chip, here it is, and it's got center stage. It's like, this is the best camera we've ever put in a Mac. And then obviously it ships and uh it's in a it's in a bad state. So even if the webcam never gets better. I still think the studio display is perfectly fine as a product. It would obviously be a lot easier sell if the webcam quality improved to what we expect from that hardware, right? Yeah. Speakers, obviously, the Pro Display has no speakers at all. Yeah.
1: Do they sound good? Bad. They, they sound good. They're comparable to, I'd say, what's in the 14-inch MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. So, it they're good. They're for built-in speakers and with the Dolby Atmos and all of that, like they're good. They're they would negate the need for most people to buy, like, dedicated desktop speakers, I think.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. When you, when they showed it in the presentation, the little, like, diagram they did to show you, like, the tweeters and the woofers, yeah. basically looked like what they put in the corners of the laptops. So I was basically expecting similar sound quality.
1: And the 16-inch MacBook Pro sound quality is pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah, I I mean, that, that that's a big tick. And I think most, not everyone, but most people are either going to use the built-in speakers or use AirPods or something, so... Yeah. So, that...
0: But it's nice! Like, I, 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 you know, I have... I use my office with two HomePods flanked uh, on the side of the laptop, and the the music sounds great when you pipe it through that. Yeah. But it's just convenient to have the laptop speakers, which you use, you know, 70% of the time, and then when you want it, you use the HomePod speakers and it sounds yeah. even better, yeah. right? And, yeah. yeah. So, it, like, anything that's built in is always good to be decent quality. Yeah. Uh, Finally, the other controversy I've seen a lot this week about the Protospec, about the Studios Play, the, pa- pa- the power cable does not come out and oh, it's like yeah. fixed in. Like, people are saying this as if it's like Apple's gone off the rails, they're doing stuff that's crazy, this doesn't make any sense. Like, are we thinking about the same company? This is exactly <laughs> what they do. Like, they make over engineered little tiny things to make it slightly better and they don't care about like repairability or const- or like you know standards or anything and in this case they've made a slightly custom power cable just so there's no like bevel on the back so you can have a flush back because if you have a standard power cable it would be too thick right and so what most manufacturers do is they just put like a little indentation on the back so that it could fit in flush with a standard power cable and they wouldn't have to pay for development of a slightly custom cable right but of course, that's not what Apple does. Apple always goes yeah. for let's make it as custom as possible, so we can get the exact aesthetic look we want, you know. And in most cases, functionality be damned, right? Like yeah. that's always what they do. And if some of the retracement of the last five years is them intentionally not doing that to make people happy, but their standard status quo is literally to do just that. It's not like a Tim Cook Apple thing. <laughs> it's not like a recent thing. This is what they always do. Like whether it's MagSafe, any like you know, taking away the headphone jack, like all this stuff it's all in the Apple philosophy. And if you don't agree with it, that's fine. But you can't say it's out of character for them. This studio display is literally Apple to the T in every in every respect. The only thing I would say is a bit ridiculous is that they charge $400 extra for the height adjustability of the yeah. stand. Like if this was just $1599 and you either had it with the height adjustable stand and the... Or you can have it $15.99 with the Visa Mount option, right? So no- nothing about like interchangeability or switchability, because again, that's not an Apple's warehouse either. Um, but if you could, if the base stand just had the height adjustability, I would have no reservations in in this product at all. Like that's the only thing where I feel like that's a bit ridiculous. Especially as it seems like the non-height adjustable stand version is pretty sh close to the ground. Yeah, like it doesn't seem low. very tall. It's too yeah, low. yeah. And so if you gave them the high-adjustability one, which isn't as complicated as the Prodisk DR because it doesn't rotate to portrait, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't seem like that one bit of extra metal should cost another $400. Again, Apple always charges on upsell and all this rubbish, but for me, that's the only thing where I'm like, that seems a bit rich. Like, I almost wish they'd have charged, like, seventeen ninety nine and it just come with a yeah. high-adjustable stand included. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, so even if the base price had to be slightly higher, at least you'd have, like, because in general, I like Apple products when you can just recommend them to be bought and you don't have to be like, well, you have to get this upgrade or you have to customise this part. And they don't always achieve that. So a lot of the time you have to be like, well, you should really get more RAM or you should mm. really get more SSD. But I think more recently, especially with like the M1 MacBook, with the M1 Max, base models are pretty great for many people um, across, the, across the lineup. and Same with the iPhones. They've increased base storage now to a decent number. Um, iPads and stuff like the 329 iPad, fantastic product well worth the money you don't have to like say oh you have to upsell this and upgrade that but then this display comes along it's expensive premium display but then you kind of have to spend another $400 just to get the height adjustable stand and you know what that's going to mean people do it's going to mean a lot of people save the money they buy the Visa mount version and then they get a crappy stand from somebody else to save some extra money and then you're kind of undermining the whole product so if if there was one point of this where I was like Apple should have done something different A. obviously they shouldn't have shipped the webcam problem but hopefully they can fix that and B. The height adjustable stand should be free, and whether that even if that meant the base price of the display should be slightly more, and it wouldn't have to be four hundred dollars more because they could like split the difference in the middle and then get you know average the same amount of money. You know what I mean? So, like even if the basis, even if the base cost of the screen was like like if it was sixteen hundred dollars plus like whatever it actually costs Apple to make the height adjustability part, not like their product not 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 their profit margin on it. So let's say another hundred, so sixteen ninety nine. And it came with how it just pulled stand near perfect execution of what people wanted. That's what I would have come away with. The, the, the fact you pay extra for the stand does impair it slightly. And I'm sure everyone's going to be mad about what we just said, but that is, yeah, that's yeah. how I feel about it.
1: Yeah. It's, like I said, it's exactly what everybody asked for. And The stand thing's weird, like you said, and the only other complaint that I would have is that Apple should have made this three three years ago. but <laughs> yeah. And then it would have been granted... I don't know if it would have been cheaper or more expensive if it came three years ago, but it would have been, it would have filled the the gap that's been there a lot earlier. Yeah, it's
0: been wanted for at least three years, if not more.
1: And the, the people saying that the display is the same display as the 2015 5K iMac, like that's a lot less ridiculous in three or four years ago than it is today, but Again, like we've said, there's nothing else like nothing else out there like if it. If there yet, was competition, so, yeah. like
0: I, I, I said on Twitter, if somebody, if some other company wants to make like a 27 inch 5K panel that just, I don't even care about like all the random little nitpicky stuff of the LG. Like if it was, let's say half the price and it just had like symmetric bezels and it was glass, right? So like glass bezels, not plastic. I don't even care about the stand too much because I get a visa mount, you know. If I had, yeah. to. if that was half the price, I'd buy that instead, you know. But nothing exists. So what are you going to do? The Apple version is the best. Y- you don't have a choice. You could there's like I don't think the the, the LG Ultrafine is what, thirteen hundred? And I, I know you can get it like cheaper in aftermarket and all this other stuff, but you, that's unfair. You've yeah. got to base it on on resale price, right? So thirteen hundred versus sixteen hundred or nineteen hundred if you want to include the standard difference. Like for that price differential, I'm buying the Apple one every single time. Uh most people aren't gonna buy the LG Ultrafine either. So <laughs> I guess yeah, that right. invalidates you on the studio display too. But I couldn't I i I would say if you're looking at LG Ultrafine just wait a couple of months and save your money and buy the, the Apple version because it's just nicer in 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 regards. And the price differential is not big enough. Like, if somebody else would offer a $700 monitor that was 5K, 27 inches, 800, 1,000, then, you know, the price difference to an Apple one starts to matter. And 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 as long as that version had, you know, like, symmetric bezels. Because the thing that really kills me about the LG one is the fact that it has, like, like massive yeah. forehead and then yep. thin thing and it's all plasticky and stuff. Like, just have a non-plastic symmetric bezel 5k panel in a monitor and that would then change the calculus a lot but that stuff doesn't exist so apple
1: charges what they can and they have and that's the studio display and just like just to recap the studio display mac studio it's an impressive little combination that we have Mm -hmm. now that we didn't have a couple weeks ago and we didn't even know was coming until a couple weeks ago so it's it's fun. It's a fun time to be a Mac user with these new categories coming and finally having a good display, finally having a Mac mini pro. Basically, it's I'm very impressed with the Studio brand and excited to see where it goes. Yeah,
0: for sure. And what the Mac Pro, well, I'm not going to buy a Mac Pro, no. but the fact they've delivered this in the Studio means they almost have to offer like stuff we have never seen before mm-hmm. for the Mac Pro, i.e. expandability and, you know, some something extra because otherwise in a way, they, the, the Mac Studio could have easily replaced many models of the Mac Pro, but they specifically yeah. said at the end of the event, the Mac Pro is still coming to dissuade anybody from thinking the Mac Studio was a replacement. So they've clearly got big ambitions there. All right. Thank you, Chance. Yes, that it's... is the Happy Hour podcast for this week. You can follow me on Twitter at BZMA. You can follow Chance on Twitter at ChanceHMiller. You can follow Zach on Twitter at ApolloZach. He'll be back next week, I believe. Let's hope so. Uh, <laughs> but thank you very much, Chance, for uh, for being here if of you course. want to any feedback about the show you can contact happyhour at 95mac.com Zach normally does this outro that's why I'm less confident in it but mm-hmm. hey this is a great episode we got some cool hands on experience thanks to Chance's buying habits and we will I will at least try not to joke about it as much that's uh, just Zach just make sure he apologizes 100%, 100% it's all Zach's fault alright see you next week everybody bye bye thanks so much